Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. Today, we're bringing you an update on a story that we've been following since last year. Back in June of 2022, we reported on news out of the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the country. That May, a third-party investigation of the SBC's top governing body found that leaders systematically ignored, belittled, and intimidated survivors of sexual abuse for the past two decades. They did this while protecting the legal interests of churches accused of harboring abusers. Now, just a few weeks after that, the SBC held its annual meeting at which congregants and executives from across the country deliberated over church business. And according to observers, there were two issues that dominated the two-day meeting, the ordination of women pastors and the fight to pass reforms intended to help prevent abuse and to care for survivors. A number of reforms passed, and among them, building a database to track abusive pastors training church officers on how to prevent abuse, and setting up a committee to expel congregations that knowingly mishandle abuse allegations. Now, a few weeks ago, the convention did oust six churches through its regular credentials committee. One, for failing to cooperate regarding a sexual abuse allegation against its senior pastor. And the sin of the other five churches? Well, they allowed women to serve as pastors. I'm joined now by Liam Adams, the religion reporter at the Tennessean. Liam, welcome to The Takeaway. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's talk a bit about this news that six churches were disfellowshipped. Um, it, it feels like in this context, the five to one, as though SBC is saying that ordaining women pastors is maybe even more troubling than protecting alleged abusers or that they're problems of the same magnitude. Help us understand. That's right. That's how a lot of people took it when the news came out. And part of that is related to the history of how this oversight group, it's called the Credentials Committee, has responded to previous reports of churches that have mishandled abuse and whether the Credentials Committee has taken the necessary action against those churches to disfellowship. A lot of survivors of abuse have been frustrated with how the Credentials Committee has handled previous reports. And that's a major part of the abuse reform happening right now in the SBC. At the same time, this issue around the women pastors has been going on for some time. And in some ways, it makes sense that this issue came to a head right now and through the credentials committee. But there's also been this history of the credentials committee this is the first time, actually, that the Credentials Committee has recommended disfellowshipping churches that have women in lead or senior pastor roles. And so the question that arose with the decision to disfellowship five churches with women pastors is, why now? That was a main question that one of the pastors of those churches had asked me and because she has been pastoring a church for 33 years up in Louisville, and in Louisville, there are some major institutions, Southern Baptist institutions that 
have zero tolerance for women pastors, and I've been pretty vocal about that. So it has sort of led to the question of why now did this women pastors issue come to a head? And the simple answer is that there's sort of larger political unrest afoot, that there is currently a campaign for a constitutional amendment to ban women pastors, to codify a ban, I should say, against women pastors in the SBC. And so that's happening around the same time as this decision to disfellowship these five churches, the most well-known of those five churches being Saddleback Church, the California megachurch founded by Pastor Rick Warren. And Saddleback really has been at the center of a lot of this debate around women pastors, and I think has really sort of brought it to the forefront. Right. I want to come away from women pastors just a bit for a moment and, and tell us about some of these other abuse-related reforms that were passed last year. So the main reform that the Southern Baptist voting delegates passed at the annual meeting in June in Anaheim was to create what they call as the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force. And so this is a sort of central task force, central group to carry out several reforms. You had mentioned one of the key ones, which is to create a database of ministers credibly accused of sexual abuse. And then the other main one is to make changes to the Credentials Committee to help its process to ensure that it's doing what it needs to do to thoroughly evaluate churches that have been accused of mishandling or covering up abuse, and then to you know be able to make those recommendations to disfellowship those churches. So that started in the fall after the newly elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Bart Barber, had appointed the members of the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force. And since then, one of the main things that the task force has been working toward is getting this database up and running. And we got a major announcement a couple weeks ago when the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee met in Nashville for its two-day meeting. And the chair of the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force announced that, you know, that the Southern Baptist Convention would be partnering with a division of Guidepost Solutions. This is the same third-party firm that conducted this historic investigation into abuse in the SBC. So division of Guidepost Solutions that will create and maintain this database. And so that work is expected to start soon. Now, Liam, help us to understand a bit about these this financial audit. It's our understanding that a result of a financial audit revealed the liquid assets of the SBC have actually decreased by about $6 million over the last fiscal year. And the language was that this was related to abuse-related legal expenses. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So the SBC and the SB, this is specifically the cash reserves for the SBC Executive Committee, which manages denomination business outside of the two-day SBC annual meeting in June. And so this is uh, specifically the cash reserves for the Executive Committee. And you're correct that it was about $6 million or about 50% of that cash reserves had decreased within the last fiscal year for legal expenses related to abuse. That's a number of different things. That includes lawsuits against the SBC and the SBC Executive Committee that are related to abuse, but it also includes legal expenses for 
the Department of Justice is investigating the SBC. Uh, There isn't a lot of information about exactly what the Department of Justice is investigating other than it's related to abuse. But the SBC Executive Committee has needed to pay legal fees just to be responsive to the Department of Justice when they've requested documents, for example. There are several lawsuits that are facing the SBC and SBC Executive Committee um, over abuse. Most are from survivors, but not all. For example, there's a lawsuit out of Alabama from an alleged abuser. But then in some of the other lawsuits, these are survivors who were abused in a local Southern Baptist church. And they are not only suing the alleged abuser, but they're suing the larger Southern Baptist institutions and holding them responsible. These Some of these lawsuits from survivors are using this historic guidepost report and mentioning it to make their argument that the larger national Southern Baptist institutions and agencies have responsibility. This was a concern uh, by some Southern Baptist leaders, especially those who were pushing back against Guideposts investigation, that Guideposts investigation would eventually be used in lawsuits against the SBC. And to some extent that has been true, although we have yet to see the um, outcome of these lawsuits. It's always been very difficult to, because of how the Southern Baptist Convention is structured, to make an argument that the sort of larger national SBC institutions have responsibility when it comes to abuse in a local church. I'll add the caveat that sort of the this idea of local church autonomy has also been used as an excuse historically by Southern Baptist leaders to not enact certain abuse reform. Nonetheless, we have yet to see sort of how these lawsuits will play out and whether the Southern Baptist Convention and Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee will be held responsible for abuse that has taken place in local churches. We have a really important lawsuit that's set for trial in May this is out in Houston, uh, State District Court, and this is a lawsuit against Paul Pressler. He's a former uh, Texas Court of Appeals judge and uh, sort of hugely influential uh, and prominent Southern Baptist leader in the late 20th century. He was one of the key leaders in what's known as the conservative resurgence movement that took the denomination further to the right. And so this lawsuit is against Paul Pressler alleging abuse, but it's also against um, a key ally of Paul Pressler. His name is Paige Patterson, another major leader in the conservative resurgence movement. And it's against Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and the Southern Baptist Convention and Southern Baptist uh, Convention Executive Committee. And so uh, we'll see what the result of that lawsuit and the trial, again, that's in May, Um, Because it could really set a precedent for how other lawsuits brought by survivors uh, sort of play out going forward. Okay, Liam, take a break with me right here. We're going to come right back with more on the SBC. It's The Takeaway. Five. 
violent police raids on student protest encampments play out against the backdrop of a crucial presidential election. Could this be 1968 all over again? If every election is just like 1968, then no election is like 1968. Maybe this election is like 2024. Plus, what Israelis are seeing on TV on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry, and we're back with Liam Adams, religion reporter at The Tennessean. We're exploring the Southern Baptist Convention and the extent to which it's now lived up to its promises for reform. Now, Liam, um, for some survivors, this has been an ongoing battle for accountability for many, many years. Now it has been nearly another year since, um, since we were reporting on this. Can you talk to me about what is happening for those survivors in terms of their sense of, of ever finding a, any accountability? Maybe, um, I know Krista Brown spoke um, uh, recently for the uh, Baptist News Global. Can you, um, can you just help us to you know, sort of understand where those survivors are? Yeah, it's really difficult because many of these survivors have been calling for this reform, and really it's bare minimum reform for more than a decade. And so now the work for a lot of that reform is just starting. That's an improvement. At the same time, there are examples of pushback to this reform. And again, I I can't overemphasize that this is just the bare minimum. And yet there's been pushback to that, that bare minimum reform. So for example, since the announcement of partnering with a division of Guidepost Solutions uh, to create and maintain this ministry check database, there have been Southern Baptist pastors that have pushed back. There was a controversy last year about Guidepost because it had posted a tweet celebrating Pride Month, and that sort of created a firestorm in the SBC because have very traditional stances on gender and sexuality. And for some Southern Baptists, that has been sort of a line in the sand because Guidepost expressed an affirming position on sort of LGBTQ rights. And so you've had some Southern Baptist pastors in the past few weeks even who have said, I will reconsider my giving to the Southern Baptist Convention if they go forward with this division of Guidepost solutions. I'll say that the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force has sought to guard against that by partnering with the specific division of guidepost solutions. It's called Faith-Based Solutions, and it's headed by a Southern Baptist. She went to Southern uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force, as well as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Bart Barber, are hoping that sort of with these guardrails of this specific division of guidepost in place, that it will sort of ease Southern Baptist concerns about, you know, where guidepost uh, is coming from politically, I think is the perception. Um, But you also have another example that has really sort of dominated a lot of the SBC news cycle in the past couple months, which is around Johnny Hunt. This is a former SBC president who is facing abuse allegations. And those abuse allegations were detailed for the first time in guideposts report in May. And Johnny Hunt announced in November that he was returning to ministry 
There, this was in a video where there were four other pastors that vouched for Johnny and this restoration, quote unquote, restoration process he had undergone. And so in January, Johnny Hunt starts to take the pulpit again and is really platformed and promoted by certain Southern Baptist pastors and churches. That has led to additional controversy where people have reported those churches to the SBC Credentials Committee, and then those churches have subsequently pushed back against the Credentials Committee, saying that they are going to fight this inquiry. So you have a lot of Southern Baptists that have grown in awareness in these past few years around the extent of abuse in the denomination and have a desire for this to change for there to be more protocol and guardrails in place to respond and prevent abuse. But then you have the same problems that survivors have been calling out for a very long time that are continuing to happen. And again, some of this, especially with the Ministry Check database, this is bare minimum. This has been called for for a long time. And you still have Southern Baptist pastors that are saying, well, I might reconsider my giving if they go forward with this specific firm to carry out this database. You know, you've you've walked us through some of how leadership is thinking about this, the congregations, even some pastors, um, survivors. I'm wondering how all of this has been affecting everyday, ordinary congregants within SBC-affiliated churches. So the best gauge of how Southern Baptists have been feeling about this issue and what needs to happen is at the SBC annual meeting. That's when uh, these voting delegates called messengers come together. Um, they're representing the local churches and they are voting on uh, major policy decisions for the denomination. We've seen in the last two SBC annual meetings in 2021 and 2022, this overwhelming support for more transparency and to take step toward reform. When the investigation guideposts investigation was approved at the 2021 annual meeting, that was an overwhelming majority that voted for the investigation. And then at the 2022 SBC annual meeting, there was an overwhelming majority that voted for the reform. And they also uh, overwhelmingly approved a resolution that was apologizing to abuse survivors. What remains to be seen is how this is being carried out on the ground. And there's a growing emphasis on really bringing local SBC officials in to help with sort of rallying this cause, if you will. So you have the SBC at the national level, but you also have state convention officials, and then you have officials at what they call as the associational level. And national SBC leaders cannot mandate that local congregations enact reform. That's just how the Southern Baptist Convention is structured and this idea of local church autonomy. And so national officials have really talked about the importance of local officials partnering alongside. And, you know, these are these are officials who are a lot closer to the churches and can, you know, really get the message sort of throughout communities to say, hey, make sure you have a background check, make sure you have the proper procedures to uh, vet you know, volunteers and staff 
And if there is an abuse report, to make sure you're passing that up as quickly as possible, in addition to, to law enforcement. And so there's this sort of growing emphasis. There's a lot of work to be done. I will say in the fall, there were more than 20 state Southern Baptist conventions that took steps to combat uh, abuse and toward abuse reform. And so it's a matter of these state conventions sort of continuing that work, finding creative ways to hold churches accountable when churches are not doing what they need to, you know, when they're mishandling abuse or covering it up. And for also associational officials to step in and make sure they're doing whatever's necessary. Liam Adams, religion reporter for the Tennessean. Liam, thanks again so much for coming on The Takeaway. Thanks for having me.